Hey there, welcome to Cozy Chats, a modern, relaxed, and easygoing podcast aimed at sharing experiences to aspiring young people, no matter their field. Hey there, cozy people. Join me today in welcoming Abraham Cambridge, the founder of the Sun Exchange. Him and his team are fresh off closing the funding round for the Nimbe Fresh Organic Farm in Zimbabwe at a value of a million dollars, giving the farm a fresh start as the solar installation is poised to replace expensive diesel generators. More info about this and its effect can be found in the blog link in the description of this podcast. You can connect to Abraham and me through our LinkedIn links in the description as well. Okay, let's get back to Abraham and the podcast. Aside from a renewable energy pioneer, Abe is also a Bitcoin fanboy, which we'll get to hear about in the rest of the podcast. Abe, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, no, thanks for having me on. I gather that you're, you're, you're already a member of Sun Exchange. You've been using our platform. Yeah, I actually stumbled onto it because of a friend and it piqued my interest because it was a project close to home. So I slowly started scaling into different projects and yeah, I just liked it because of the ease of use and because it also had a focus on climate and the environment as well, as well as some of the projects are geared to helping certain communities and just certain people. That's what I found very interesting about it. Okay. Um, let me just um, maybe start just by explaining a little bit more about how, what the platform actually is and what it does. I mean, you say, um, first, can you hear me okay? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I mean, so, first, so firstly, you say um, invest in the projects. Yeah. And actually, what Sun Exchange isn't is a investment platform. Yeah. Um, it's actually a new way of owning solar panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, you invest in owning solar panels, but then you would do so also to invest in solar panels for your house. So Sun Exchange is not a fund. It's not a, um, a. It's not a green bond. You know, it's not a. You're not lending money to a project or anything like that. Um, you are literally buying solar panels online, and having them installed onto a, a project um, in the sunniest places on Earth, um, primarily South Africa and now Zimbabwe and, and very soon Namibia and, and Botswana. Um, and those solar panels you can buy in, in, in pieces, you know, in micro, micro pieces, so solar cells, where each, each solar cell can cost us under, under $5. I mean, our, our latest project is $3 a solar cell. Um, and, and the benefit of that is you can build up a solar array over time. Now, a 16% internal rate of return is, is, is really good. Yeah. Um, and because, it's, a, because it's, a, it's much better to have, if getting... You know, even if it was 5% internal rate of return, it's better than holding money in a bank that's getting 0.05% interest. So you, know, you, can, you can see this as a, a way of um, building yourself an income stream over time through, through bur- uh, owning solar panels. Um, if you were to put solar panels on the roof of your own home, that's like one big capital outlay at one go, which will result in economic benefits to you because you own a solar power plant. But for most people in the world, it's not possible. It is not possible to put solar panels on your own home because firstly, people, very few people own their own home. Um, you are either a tenant in a rented a property or you live in an apartment. And in neither of those situations can you own the solar panels. The third one is you do own your own home, but you can't afford the full cost of putting solar panels on your own house because it's very expensive. So what Sun Exchange allows you to do is build up 
a solar power plant over time that's remote and your solar panels are producing electricity and that electricity is being purchased by somebody overseas and that money is being converted to Bitcoin and then sent back to you uh, yeah. via your Sun Exchange account. So you can you basically build up an income stream that's been sourced from sunlight and that you can use that to pay for your electricity bill at home or you can accumulate your earnings and buy more solar panels. So really that's that's one of the principles of the platform with the added benefit that your solar panels are powering things like schools and retirement homes, uh, supermarkets in uh, emerging markets. So uh, you're providing clean and affordable power to organizations and that electricity is cheaper than they would otherwise pay for. So you're saving costs to worthy businesses and you're cutting carbon and you're getting an income out of it. Yeah, that's how I looked at it as well. I think uh, I saw it at the time also as a cool way to accumulate Bitcoin because of course you buy Bitcoin directly, but then if you can, uh, for example, invest in, or not exactly, I'm using the word invest, but then you purchase solar panels and then you're building your remote uh, solar plant, as you say, but at the same time, earning Bitcoin that's not subject to fluctuating prices over 20 years. I think that's a crazy opportunity. And at the same time, I was looking at the platform that the type of projects vary so much. First, you go from an organic farm and which is like sustainable farming to uh, the African Parks Network, which is helping a lot in, the, in terms of conservation of different species of animals. I've seen it myself in my country, in Malawi, where when the government was running the, the parks, some of the species were almost completely eradicated and then African parks helped a lot. So you just see that, that at the same time you do 16% is a very uh, amazing amount, a sexy amount, but at the same time you bring a lot of social change. I think I also saw it uh, in remote schools in South Africa too, where usually these are state funded, the state can barely even <laughs> help them to get a normal electricity. So they're definitely not going to invest in solar. So I, that's why I thought the sun exchange. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, that for, especially with schools, yeah. their money is, if they're very limited budgets, which are, are becoming less every year as, as governments run out of money. Um, the last thing they have is, is the money available to go and buy a solar plant to put on the roof of their school. But of course, once the, if they were to have solar panels on the roof of their school, um, they would have cheaper electricity. So it's it's almost kind of almost seems unfair that the organisations which need solar the most are in the worst position possible to to actually access it. And the Sun Exchange platform solves that problem by now allowing people like like yourself in in Germany to now own a solar panel on the roof of that school therefore alleviating the budgets of that school and also taking away the responsibility of government to sort out those problems. I mean, governments across Africa and other emerging markets have big issues to deal with. Yes. And solar powering schools is not on the top of the agenda. And, and, and I don't think maybe, it, I don't think it necessarily even should be. Yeah, I don't um, it's, I mean, the democratization of energy is now possible. It's down to individuals to decide what energy sources we need to be using. And if a school wants to go solar, then they should just go ahead and do it. And Sun Exchange is a platform that allows them to do so. Yeah, I think it's also a thing of, uh, I've had conversations with people here in Europe about sustainability, the environment. 
and then they always point fingers at Africa. But then if you look at the actual numbers, we're not, Africa isn't the biggest polluter, first of all. And secondly, I think uh, I look at it on Marvel's, like, uh, Maslow's uh, pyramid of needs and sustainability. If you put it in that sense, you'd put sustainability one of the highest points because first of all, you have to sort out the essentials that humans need before you can start thinking about, okay, how do we provide the essentials to humans in a sustainable way? And most African countries haven't even reached the stage where they're providing the essentials to humans, even in an unsustainable way. So I think it's... Uh, yeah, no, that, um, that is, is a very good point. I mean, the, the idea of, um, of you know, green and, and sustainability um, is is almost you almost have to be in a, a luxury position to to think that, but I, th I believe that's a position that's come about perhaps through um, through education as well, um, and the fact that traditionally you know Western um, societies and economies have lived in a, a world where there is a surplus of goods yeah. around us. So um, I mean, I, I was in Mexico a few years ago. And there is plastic everywhere. Right. And I was seeing people throwing plastic out of windows of their cars. And I asked our guide, like, why are people throwing plastics out the window? Do they, will they not realize that this plastic will just accumulate? It's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to build up over time and just, and just cause huge pollution. And the reason why is that the, those people grew up um, with organic produce. You know, they, they would have had bananas or, or wood um, or leaves to, to to carry their food with, they wouldn't have had plastics. Plastics are a new thing, um, and they're yet to see the impact of that. And and they also do not have the the luxury of sophisticated well waste recycling systems embedded and in, in ingrained in their in their economy. Now, in in the Netherlands, you can go to the supermarket and you can post plastic bottles into a into an automatic machine, which will give you money out. Yeah, you know that. But then here in Cape Town. I take the train and you look out the window and there are there are homeless people living on the side of the train tracks surrounded by plastic bottles and metal cans yeah. and yet they're starving. Yeah. So they, it's almost like they don't realize that they're surrounded by materials and resource that are actually worth something. Yeah. So it's very much a, um, a systems issue. Um, but with, with the other issues that are going on in the country, the, you know, building a recycling system is again not not top of the agenda. Mm -hmm. So you know these are uh, this, these are emerging market problems. Um, and the, the beautiful thing about solar power is that it can actually happen quite fast and immediately address these kinds of issues without having to rely on central bodies to sort these issues out. Uh, especially when you go through the layers of bureaucracy, which um, are natural. When it comes to working for a centralized body yep. so if you're working for a world bank funded program um they're working through um an african nation it's going to take years to get anywhere because you have so many different layers of bureaucracy to, to actually work out how how something should happen so doing things from the ground up from 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 the bottom of the pyramid is the way to do it and then you can lead to the middle I'm not to say there's no role in government in enabling sustainable development. Sustainable development requires everyone to be working towards sustainable development, but you've got to work from both sides. It needs, it needs individuals taking direct action and putting, uh, using the tools we have available to, to make the world better. And then governments need to be thinking in the longer term about what systems and regulations they put in place to ensure the, the, the long-term support of, of those initiatives.
Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm more of the same belief as well. Where, I mean, yeah, ground up where people should take a certain amount of responsibility. And of course, the government should support people when they do that and not try to hinder them. Because this idea that the government can do everything, I mean, in the history of the world, there isn't one country that was built from the government alone. It's the people, it's what the people do. And the government is just like an enabler. You can't rely on the government to create multi-million dollar businesses to uh, carry the economy. People do mm. that. The government just has to provide the infrastructure and the support for that. And I think- Correct. I mean, I, so I was going to say that um, obviously capitalism yeah. is driven by the consumer yeah. and uh, like, like it or not, we do live in a, in a capitalistic world now. Yeah. So therefore the, the way the world is, is very much driven by everyone's spending habits. So if you do not like the world being powered by coal and oil, you do not have to spend money on coal and oil. You can switch to an alternative. It just requires some, some changing of, of, of your behavior and attitude to, to switch. Um, so, and that, that, and that is easy to do. It's just a matter of actually saying, I do not want to support the oil and gas industry. Now I want to be solar powered. I want to produce solar energy. Um, and now platforms like Sun Exchange allow any individual in the world now to become a net positive producer of energy from clean energy sources. Yes, it's just the old trick of putting your money where your mouth is, where I've had conversations with a lot of young people where they hate what their, their companies are doing, what the industries are, the way they're producing and the way they use the energy and whatever unethical things they do. When I said that that's a direct result of the consumer market, you were telling them that it's okay to do that because one day you, you are Coca-Cola for doing whatever they do in South America or any other country, but the next day you're buying five liters of it. So they don't care about what you say if your money is still going to them. So it has to be a thing where our money is shifting to the things that we care about. So even very much, it's, it's, it is literally the only meaningful vote yes. where you get immediate action. You know, um, if everyone ceased to purchase um, pr uh, products which in contain palm oil, then most of the rainforest deforestation that's happening in Borneo would stop because that's where palm, palm oil is coming from. Yeah. So if you look at uh, any food or pharmaceutical product that you have, if it contains palm oil, you are contributing towards deforestation in rainforests. Um, and so immediately stop that. And if you stop, and if everyone else stops that, then demand will stop. Uh, and then, then rainforest deforestation will, will cease. It's, 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 it literally caused an effect. Um, but you are the cause if you are contributing to it. You know, it's like, uh, in fact, I, I'm, I certainly, when I hold, we, we're both holding mobile phones or laptops. We currently are using a tool which is resulting in child labor in mines in, uh, in DRC. Um, and there are very few companies in the world that can guarantee you not using minerals which came from conflict zones. Um, and it's very hard to, 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 to ensure that you are using a product which has not caused human harm. Um, but we can move to a world where that is not the case and um, we should support any business or organization that is trying to um, create um, a, a wave of positive change in their, in their sector.
Yeah, definitely. I look at it as a way that, okay, it's currently we can move to a world where that is possible. Then currently it's very hard to avoid, uh, like for example, a technological product that does not create, that does not have materials that are coming from conflict zones. But the question is, how long are you going to have that? Do you actually understand the value of that thing, not just in terms of how much you bought it, but the people's lives that were affected, like the actual supply chain? And if you understand that, what are you going to do with that thing? Do you necessarily need to have it? Are you going to do something effective with it that it's actually, the benefit of you having it is actually good for the world? For example, you Mm. probably created this platform with one of those technological products. You couldn't have done it without it. So those things are still essential to bring good yeah. to it. just has to be a cost-benefit analysis. Or- yeah, so so this, but this is probably a good point now to therefore bring in the discussion around the energy use of, of Bitcoin mining. Yeah. Um, I, I, we always get criticized for using Bitcoin whilst also claiming to uh, be, a, be around uh, decarbonizing the world. Uh, my responses to this are, are quite straightforward. Um, those those attitudes around Bitcoin being a waste of energy are very very misinformed. Okay, so there's there's almost just a few things to consider. Firstly, Bitcoin mining um, uses less energy each year than gold mining. So if you and gold, most gold is being mined not for electrical application use; it's being mined for for jewelry and for precious goods, and being a store of value which is what Bitcoin now does and, and has additional properties which are potentially more useful. Okay, gold has other properties which Bitcoin doesn't because it's physical, but at the same time, Bitcoin being digital, it could be transported, could be broken down to elements. It can also be used to store data. So actually Bitcoin mining as a store of value is more efficient than mining gold. So that's, that's first. first. Second, um, Bitcoin is often now compared to having the energy demand of a country such as the Netherlands, for example, mm-hmm. a huge, huge energy use. And yes, Bitcoin mining does use a large amount of energy, but Bitcoin is now one of the most valuable assets in the entire world. It's, it's, it's um, uh, market cap is now about $1.1 trillion, which is far, far greater than the GDP of the Netherlands. So if, if Bitcoin was a country, it would actually be one of the richest countries in the world. Um, and its energy mix, i.e. the amount of uh, renewable energy that's all, already being used to mine Bitcoin um, is around 30%, 30-40%, which makes it one of the greenest energy mixes of any country in the world. Yeah. Um, I believe only countries that are mainly hydro-powered, and maybe now Germany, have got a higher proportion of renewables than, than fossil fuel. Every other country is mainly, mainly fossil fuels. Um, and that will only increase over time because... Uh, as renewables get increasingly cheaper, you'll find that more and more uh, Bitcoin mines switch to renewables. And actually, we've now passed a point in uh, the the evolution of energy in the world where three quarters of the world's population now find wind and solar the cheapest form of energy, which basically means that if you're a Bitcoin miner, the three quarters of the world is now wind and solar is the, is the most obvious uh, energy source to utilize, and it will only get better. So if Bitcoin mining is entirely renewable energy powered, then its energy demand is actually of kind of no consequence. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to the, the, the final point, the final piece of the picture. And I think this is the one that's most profound that people don't realize. Um, and that's that 
because the value of Bitcoin is um, is artificial, it's it's um, it's a manifestation of our belief of its value. There's actually no limit to how valuable Bitcoin is. Okay, and if you were to finance um, uh, solar energy with Bitcoin, the, then you end up with more energy out than you put into the Bitcoin in the first place. And let me put this into a, a real world uh, perspective right now. So to mine one Bitcoin today takes about 230 megawatt hours of energy to mine one Bitcoin. But that one Bitcoin is worth $60,000. And you can go and fund with that 70 kilowatts of solar PV. And that solar PV over its 25 year lifespan is going to generate 1,200 megawatt hours of electricity. So you've basically now got eight times the energy um, out of the solar panels than it took to create them in the first place. But the most beautiful thing about that is that Bitcoin still exists. It's still in circulation. You've got this principle of velocity of money, that actually the more Bitcoin is used, the more valuable it gets. So once you've created that Bitcoin, you can fund 60 kilowatts of solar panels. And they can, that Bitcoin will go on and finance another 76 kilowatts of solar panels. So you end up with this net positive ba energy balance. So I think the point is, is that if you put Bitcoin to work and actually use it to finance solar energy, you actually end up with a more valuable cryptocurrency for a start and you end up completely offsetting its energy use. Mm -hmm. So my, my, my challenge to all Bitcoin miners in the world is if, if you put just one eighth of your mined Bitcoin into funding solar power, you've neutralized its carbon impact, you've neutralized the energy use, and you're now getting a, a return on Bitcoin because you own solar PV systems. Um, and you probably increase the value of Bitcoin by putting it to work. So there is a lot more to it than it's the very easy headline for a tabloid newspaper report is Bitcoin uses loads of energy. It's like, yes, it does use loads of energy. So does your newspaper. You know, yeah, everything needs energy. And you know, the, the guy that invented the car, was it Carl Benz? He, he went to work on a horse. Uh, Thomas Edison, inventor of the light bulb, he, he invented it by, by candlelight or by oil lamp. Yeah. You know, we do not invent and we do not change the world um, without using the old outdated modes and infrastructure to get to that new world. And that's what Bitcoin is doing. Exactly. That's the thing where people criticize Bitcoin on its energy use. But then the issue isn't Bitcoin, because if you look at the efficiency how efficiently it uses the energy grid, then it's way more efficient than anything you compare it to. Because if you, because mainly they'll look at maybe the, the visa network as a comparison, but you can't just compare it to the visa network because you have to compare it to the service the visa network needs. You have to compare it to all the networks of banks in every single country, all the computers needed for that, all the paperwork, the paper used to print money as well. And if you compare that to Bitcoin, then it's not even, uh, it's well, well, exa exa well, exactly. You've got <laughs> towers of, 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 of metal and glass in cities yeah. um, being, being run by thousands of, of people doing administrative tasks. Um, and actually, that, that is not an, not an efficient process, especially when you think of the different layers and different organizations involved with running that in all the different middlemen uh, to facilitate a global transaction. And now with Bitcoin, you have one protocol, one network that is running the entire thing it's, it's a far more efficient way of, of transmitting value around the world um, and I, i'd also say that i'm not sure how many countries still hold gold reserves uh, but i imagine quite a few do so the 
the thing which props up the value of um, of fiat currency, if anything now, is, is gold reserves. Thank you guys again for joining and continuing to tune in. If you learned something, then I am grateful. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to contact me through LinkedIn or Anchor as well. See you next time as we go deeper into renewable energy with Abe. I'm wishing you a blessed and productive week. Stay healthy and safe. Bye.